Good afternoon and welcome to Midday Moms. This is Dorothy Polarski and uh, it's nice to see you. I'm really glad that you're you know, joining us today. Um, and as you're signing on, please do say hello to us in the chat box. And just for those of you who maybe are signing on for the first time, um, I'll tell you just a little bit about myself. My name is Dorothy Polarski, and I'm the founder of a ministry, CatholicMomsGroup.com. We work in partnership with the Archdiocese of Toronto in helping parishes start Catholic Moms Groups. And the pandemic brought us here virtually online, and I'm thrilled today to have with me a, a very, very special guest, um, Michelle Sachs. Michelle, do you want to tell the you know moms that are signing on? Can you tell us just a little bit about yourself? Sure. So hi everybody. Um, my name is Michelle, and I am a mom of four. Uh, we live in New Hamburg, Ontario, and um, you know what? We find ourselves homeschooling this year, and so that really takes a lot of my introduction brain space identity at the moment <laughs> um but yeah i, I host co-host a podcast called the modern lady podcast with my friend lindsay murray and um between that and homeschooling we're just you know what living life striving for holiness like all of you and really excited to come back and visit you all again here on midday moms i so enjoy the time that I spend here with you guys on Thursday afternoons. Yeah, and so we've got someone here. Um, Jacqueline Novak is saying, love, love, love your podcast. So oh, for those of you that, you. Uh, yeah, thank you. yeah, so for those of you that are interested um, in listening to uh, Michelle's podcast, look up the modern lady podcast. Is that right? Did I get it right? That's right. Yeah, you can find us on um, social media by that handle. So on Instagram and Facebook, we're at the Modern Lady Podcast. Yeah, so we're, we're so thrilled to have Michelle here. She's uh, been on Midday Moms, you know, on several occasions. And I, I hope and pray that, you know, we'll have her back again. But before I get too excited. Um, so uh, again, we're on a mission, our ministry is on a mission to revive the vocation of motherhood. And we do so primarily by helping um, mothers, um, helping parishes start Catholic moms groups. I'm gonna share with you just a very short two or three minute video that um, tells you a little bit about Catholic moms group. I would encourage you to visit our website. It's really easy to remember. It's three words, Catholic momsgroup.com and um, again we help parishes start catholic moms groups and i'll share with you um, our little short video and so when you go to catholic moms group you're going to see um, this you know start a catholic moms group and we help parishes start three types of groups we help them start either a mother's group for moms only, mothers and tots, or if you'd like to start a virtual mother's group, we can help you do that as well. Um, right now, we receive um, you know, new parishes by parishes submitting an application. We are parish-based, so the moms groups that we do run are always associated with a parish. And I'm going to share with you again our very short um, promo video. Whoops, sorry. Mothers, by our very nature, we are nurturing, loving caregivers. We are social beings made for friendship and community. We are also spiritual by nature, made by a loving God to know him and love him and to pass this love of our Catholic faith on to our children. But right now, many mothers feel overextended, distracted, and exhausted. Though as Catholics, we have the community of our church, many mothers attending Mass could not name the mom sitting next to them in the pew they share. 
community and support among Catholic mothers is desperately needed in this hectic and chaotic culture. Your parish needs you to bring these moms together. Hi, my name is Dorothy Polarski. I'm the founder of Catholic Moms Group. We at Catholic Moms Group are on a mission to revive the vocation of motherhood. We exist to bring together like-minded, faith-filled mothers who crave community and are focused on spiritual growth, Catholic teaching, and fellowship. Can you imagine a thriving, engaged mothers group at your parish? A group of moms in love with their Catholic faith, ready to serve other mothers no matter what stage of motherhood they're at. Can you imagine what a difference that would make at your parish? Starting a mother's group, it's not rocket science, but working with a team who's done it before and who's done it dozens and dozens of times sure does help. The Catholic Moms Group membership site is an online community that offers training, resources, and dozens of tools for parishes to help them start a mother's group quickly and efficiently. We're here to provide you with a clear path to launching a Catholic Moms Group at your parish. All of our materials are 100% Catholic. We have clearly laid out meetup plans for both moms groups and toddler groups. We are obedient to the magisterium of the Catholic Church. We have created dozens of tools that are going to save you time and energy. And besides that, we love our Blessed Mother. We constantly turn to her for her intercession. You can make a huge impact in your parish, so join us. We are revolutionizing the way parishes start mothers groups by providing parishes with a Catholic mothers group starter kit and by nourishing and training a community of Catholic mothers group leaders across the world. It's time to start a mothers group at your parish. Join us today. you but every time I watch that little video I get so excited about the ministry all over again. Um, so we have helped uh, you know over 45 parishes start a Catholic moms group and uh, what you see here on midday moms is not a mom's group because we're not all together and you know we don't pray um, together and we don't have the fellowship but it gives you a glimpse of uh, you know, a part of our, our mother's group. And so we have workshops for mother's group leaders to train them how to become a mother's group leader. And um, I posted a mother's group. <laughs> My daughter is 26. She's getting married a week tomorrow. And I started my mother's group while I was still expecting with her because I'm an overachiever. <laughs> and uh, uh, yeah, so, you know, um, I really hope to help you start a, a Catholic moms group because being surrounded by Catholic women that are committed to your sanctity and committed to you praying with you and teach you about the faith, it's nothing short of life transforming. So please, um, you know, think about it. You know, maybe the Holy Spirit's giving you a little nudge to start a Catholic moms group. We'd love to help you. Um, anyway, Back to Michelle, um, one of the reasons we invited Michelle um, to, to speak about, um, you know, a Dr. Hildegard van Bingen is because my, my daughter is getting married on September the 17th, and a couple of weeks ago she said, Mom, Mom, I was on the treadmill, and I kind of was wondering when I was on the treadmill what feast day um, our wedding is on because mm. it's kind of uh, a, you know remarkable that her wedding this year is it's on a Friday and that's because of COVID and all of the limitations and, and so on and so forth and she goes it's on you know our, our wedding is on the feast of you know this is Hildegard van Bingen do you know anything about her and, and the funny thing was that I had just bookmarked 
about four podcasts about her. And I had just ordered um, two of her books. And it was, it just seemed like a, a bit of a God incidence. We know we don't like the word coincidence here. And then I thought, I just don't feel like I'm smart enough to talk about her, but I know someone who is. And so I reached out, <laughs> I reached out to uh, Michelle um, and I said, Michelle, do you feel like taking on the challenge? I know that, uh, you know, that, that this particular saint is, is remarkable. And without skipping a heartbeat, <laughs> Michelle said, yes. So I, I want to thank you publicly for your yes. Thank you very, very much for your yes. Um, can you tell us a little bit about why you just so instantly said yes and what you've learned about her? Yeah, well, you know what, Dorothy, I'll just continue your God incident story um, with how it feeds into my own. And I didn't realize it was your daughter that kind of spurred all of this on. I'll make sure to ask, uh, pray for St. Hildegard's intercession for her next week on her wedding day. Um, but for me, St. Hildegard has been popping up as well all summer. So, you know, anytime I'd be on social media or I'd read an article or I'd be in conversation with someone, her name would come up. And, you know, we often talk on the podcast as well about how sometimes it's the saints who pursue you, <laughs> right? If they have a particular reason for wanting to, us to get to know them. Um, and that's happened a couple of times with me and this summer, St. Hildegard. So when you messaged me and asked specifically for this topic, I felt like it was something I should not be refusing. <laughs> and so I was happy to jump right on, right on that and get to learning about her. But as what you and I were talking about before we went live here is that with St. Hildegard, where does one begin? <laughs> like she is... <laughs> a giant <laughs> and, isn't she yeah. and so you mentioned that you've kind of prepared a, a bit of a, a reflection for us in, in three parts um mm -hmm. can you tell us a little bit about the three parts before you begin the three parts yeah yeah sure so this was the easiest way i i felt like i could approach Hild saint hildegard um to begin research was we'll talk a little about who she was so a little bit of her biography and her life and then maybe talk a bit about her works. Now I say, I'll say some of her works because there are a lot of them. So we'll pick a couple of them to really focus on. And if we have time, I'd love to talk about some of the reasons why I think that she could be nudging some of us to get to know her better. You know, how she's still so relevant today when um, Pope Benedict XVI was one who canonized her and he called her perennial perennially relevant i hope i said that i want to just say hello to a few people amanda sage hello thank you for joining us jacqueline uh thank you for joining us and lucy thank you for joining us um we do encourage you to say hello to us in the chat if you have any questions or you have any experience or any resources related to this remarkable saint, please feel free to post them. Um, we like our, you know, we, we like these midday mom sessions to be interactive. So please don't hesitate uh, to chat with us. So, yeah. So tell us, Michelle, a little bit about her life, her background. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So like we were saying, um, and I think I say this every time I'm with you, Dorothy, on Midday Moms, is that um, I am a, a, a mother, I'm not a theologian, I'm not a, a doctor, I don't have a doctorate in philosophy or anything like that. So um, when we titled this talk, Making Her Acquaintance, Making the Acquaintance of St. Hildegard, um, there, you know, we're just learning more about her as well. So um, we'll do our very best to give you an overview, but then maybe some resources for you to go look further into her. So, you know what, Hildegard, let's start um, when she was born. She was born in the year 1098. Um, and she was born in the area of the Rhineland in Germany. So she was actually um, part of the lower nobility. Her family was part of the lower nobility, which meant that they weren't high ranking enough to be titled per se, 
but that they could use the term von in their name. That was often a way that they would, the lower nobility families would distinguish themselves as that mid ground between commoner and royalty, essentially. So she was the youngest of 10 children. Um, and she, she was rather sickly as a child. And so she often had a nurse with her uh, caring for her. And I think that there's one story about her and her nurse that perfectly illustrates her starting out and her beginning. So the story goes that she was walking with her nurse one day outside and they passed a field and she pointed to a cow who was pregnant in the field. And she says, look, look how beautiful the calf is. Oh, it's pure white and it has a spot on its forehead and spot on it, spots on its back and a spot on its foot. And the nurse is sitting here going, it's not even born yet. So the nurse goes to tell Hildegard's mother who takes note of it. And when the calf is born, they realize that Hildegard was correct. She perfectly described this calf. And so uh, that story was used, I believe, during her canonization process, which we'll talk more about in a little bit, hopefully. But I thought that was a perfect introduction to who we're dealing with here. <laughs> Just um, she's always had visions from a very young age, the connection with being able to see what we all see, but maybe on a deeper level, um, especially in the natural world around her. Yeah, and I, I, as a part of my reading, I also learned that she was given by her family as a tithe to a monastery being the 10th mm. child. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, families were a lot holier yeah. than they are now. <laughs> like not many of us would say, well, you know, I'm, I'm going to give my 10th child to the church or to a monastery. Mm. Um, I, I just wanted to acknowledge uh, here, uh, Jacqueline Novaks is saying hello from Iowa and she's mentioning Abiding Together podcast did a study on the women doctors of the church and they have a great episode on St. Uh, Hildegard. So for those of you that are intrigued by today's um, session, please you know, look that up. And we also have um, hello from Muggs Mortha. I have loved St. Hildegard for a very long time. And yes, she pursued me. And so she's pursuing a lot of us. And yeah. <laughs> we're, we're needing a, a revival of, you know, some of her um, just teachings and philosophy. And I, I think that women are, you know, just being called um, to holiness and to, to, to lean on maybe not, you know, Glamour Magazine, Cosmopolitan, and, and to introduce these saints to our daughters, right? Because I think our daughters are very, very hungry for remarkable, holy, mystical souls that are very fruitful, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so anyway, I don't mean to interrupt. So um, so, so there's the cow story that she was <laughs> tell, us, tell us a little I don't to reduce it to that, I'm sorry. Um, well, that's what was in my notes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I thought briefly mentioned, but not explained. And so for a while it sat in my notes as St. Hildegard cow. Question. <laughs> so, finally found it for you. Yes. Um. <laughs> she's a, yeah, she's a mystic and a visionary. She could literally see things that other people couldn't see um, yes. when she was three and four years old. Yeah. Yeah. So to your point, Dorothy, when she was eight, she was given as an oblate to the Benedictine monastery. And an oblate is a person who is specifically dedicated to God or the service of God. So she was put under the care of a woman named Yuta. I think that's how you pronounce yes. it. A-U-T-T-A, Yuta. Um, and she was actually the sister of the count of their area that Hildegard's family worked for. So she was another daughter who was given as an oblate to the church. And it was Yuta who is thought to be responsible for Hildegard's education. Um, but it wasn't necessarily a formal education. She didn't go to school. She didn't have a formal tutor, but she did learn to read and write. And she learned Latin informally um, from Utah. 
And it's remarkable. I think this is one of the things that I thought, oh, it's, it would be nice for us as parents to know this about Hildegard today, that, you know, Hildegard ended up writing nine books in Latin and <laughs> her education was overseen by this other young woman. And so, um, you know, when children are loved well, um, their education kind of, it follows. Yeah, so and really the other, yeah, the other little sort of tidbit that I found fascinating was that her parents actually asked um, Hildegard her permission that can she be um, mm. given and that, you know, Hildegard was very much against uh, parents who kind of gave their children uh, to a particular order without asking the child's permission. And mm. so she did this you know, she did this freely, you know, as well, which, again, I thought, you know, maybe do we expect too little of our children, right? We're, we're not teaching them Latin. We're not perhaps suggesting, you know, the vocational life. And so she, she really has challenged, you know, me personally think sometimes we think as moms, oh, you know, I do so much. I, you know, have this podcast. I have this mother's group. And I'm like, yeah, look at Hildegard. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I'm sorry. Um, no, that's fine. Um, she, when she was in the monastery, um, like you were saying, this was her, her choice. And I think we can gather that even from the fact that she decided on her own to take her vows uh, when she was about 14 or 15 years old. So she did become then a Benedictine nun after all those years, but Hildegard never stopped being sickly. And because of that, she spent a lot of time alone, um, even in the, the convent. And so it was during this time that her visions really continued. And what I found really interesting was that she, um, you know, she talks about having a lot of self-doubt when it comes to her visions. And she didn't, she wasn't really sure that what she was seeing, first of all, was like legitimate. And then um, it, once she did discern that, yes, this was from God, whether she should tell anybody about it. And there is a quote here that she, um, that she says herself, because she writes a lot autobiograph autobiographically in some of her books. She says, um, up to my 15th year, I saw much and related some of the things seen to others who would inquire with astonishment when such things might come. I, oh, sorry, that's my phone ringing in the background. <laughs> <Just ignore that. laughs> um, she would say um, that I wondered and during my sickness, I asked one of my nurses whether she also saw similar things. And when she answered no, a great fear befell me. Um, and frequently in my conversation, I would relate future things. Um, but noting the amazement of my listeners, I became more reticent. So here is another thing I think about Hildegard that many of us could probably relate to is that sometimes we might get a sense of something even spiritually, and we might test it out on people. Um, we're looking for someone to help us discern or someone to give us advice and we're fearful of the reactions of other people. And here is a saint who had uh, literal visions from God going through the same thing. And yet she persevered in remaining open to receiving whatever God was giving her um, and remained persistent in trying to figure out what it all meant for her, even at a young age. And yeah, and I think too, um, the fact that she was sickly, right? Like, mm -hmm. um, I've struggled with more illnesses that I'm gonna that I'm gonna talk about right now, and and many of them remarkable illnesses, and it I don't know it gave me great consolation, and I think it should give great consolation to all of us that are here. I think that sometimes you know our culture is so obsessed with you know, perfect health and perfect Instagram profile and perfect family life. And so despite her sickness, despite her, you know, almost lifelong sickliness, yet she was like so fruitful, right? Mm -hmm. and, and so maybe if any of you are struggling with any type of illnesses, like maybe it's time to stop feeling sorry for yourself and asking yourself like, God, how could I use this suffering in order to be more fruitful. Like if I unite my suffering with yours, um, you know, please help this suffering 
um, make my life more fruitful in you know particular ways or to offer the suffering up for specific intentions so um i just i was really deeply consoled by her cleanness. i don't mean that sounds terrible but you know what i mean right? and you know what the reminder too that you that god works in all areas of our life even through sickness because you know how saint hildegard the convent she was originally at when um, when Utah died, she was unanimously voted as the new, um, I, I forget what the term is, leader, <laughs> forgive me, or the, <laughs> the, what I mean? <laughs> the head lady. <laughs> yes, the abbess maybe? The abbess or something. <laughs> the <Yeah>. leader. <laughs> yeah. um, she was unanimously voted in and, and she started getting a sense or, the abbot, the priest who was there, wanted um, for Hildegard to become the prioress, which would kind of change things a little bit in the order and it would make the nuns a little bit more um, under the uh, leadership of the priests and that they would be more united. And she was getting a sense that the convent, the order was going in a different direction. And so she wanted to move the, the nuns from Disembodenburg and where they were um, to Bingen and the the abbot said no um, and she fell really physically ill to the point where it paralyzed her and made her bedridden for a long time and she said it was because um, you know God really was asking this of her and so the abbot he held firm until he himself could not move her <laughs> physically. And then he thought, okay, I guess this is something we need to listen to. And so he gave them permission. And then that's how the nuns moved to Bingen. And that's how, you know, St. Hildegard von Bingen, uh, von being the, you know, of <laughs> Bingen. So uh, yeah, even, even through all that, it was for a greater, greater purpose. And that holy stubbornness, right? The holy yeah. Stubbornness. <laughs> yeah, she could be the patron saint of that too, I think. <laughs> and you're right, to put holy in front of it is a good point because she knew when. She knew when to, to do it. And when to, yes, right? yeah, holy yeah. stubbornness, yes. Yeah, so, um, you know, going back to her visions for a second and her self-doubt, I found it really interesting. So this is after they moved to Bingen, the nuns are situated there and these visions are um, continuing. She's decided at this point or she's discerned at this point that they are indeed from God. They are revelations to her spiritually, but she's still conflicted whether or not she should publish them or write them down or tell others about them. So she ends up writing to another saint uh, who was her contemporary at the time. And I love this connection. I love when saints know each other. I feel like it really solidifies their humanity and their friendships. But she ends up writing to the abbot of the Cister Cistercian Monastery, who is the future Saint Bernard of Clairvaux. And she writes to him to ask for advice and what he thinks uh, about all these visions and what she should do with them. And he replies very favorably to her and he encourages her to continue receiving the visions and writing them down. He begins to um, you know, introduce other people to her writings and to her visions. And the story goes that when St. Hildegard's archbishop finally brings part of her writings, which would make up part of her first book, Scivias, um, to the Pope, uh, her archbishop brought it to Saint uh, Eugenius III, I believe was the Pope at the time. Um, it was actually Saint Bernard of Clairvaux, who on the other side of the Pope was saying, you should listen to this woman, you should read her works. And um, I believe the Pope was also a Cistercian. Um, so they had that fraternal uh, rapport with one another. And so it really, if it weren't for St. Bernard of Clairvaux, we may not have so much access to St. Hildegard today. Uh, he really brought it to the Pope's attention. When the Pope read through her works, he gave her papal approval and encouraged her to continue to write. And uh, so she did, and she finished Scivias, which translates to know the way. 
Um, she finished it 10 years, 10 years later, it was finally done. And I think with the papal approval, she was finally confident that this was indeed where God wanted her. <laughs> it's, uh, I just, I, I love every aspect of that story because mm-hmm. um, I don't know about, you know, any of you moms, but like sometimes we have like a sense of something or sometimes we, and, you know, our family and friends, they, they might think that we're kind of like nuts, you know, <laughs> religious or something, right? And it's so important to have holy friends or good, you know, friends that are trying to be obedient and submissive to the Catholic Church and are trying to grow in holiness so that, that you can run things by them so that you're not alone in your journey. And to me, that's what's been remarkable about, um, you know, having a mom's group, because one of our mother's group leaders is, is here today. She's uh, Kristina Zasowski from All Saints, uh, All Saints Parish in, in Etobicoke. And I can't tell you on how many occasions, you know, like Kristina has eight children <laughs> and she's got, I think, four or five, six grandkids. Uh, but at the same time, she skis and at the same time, she's beautiful and fashionable. And um, she just danced up to storm the other night at a wedding with my son. And so she's hip and fun and I love her to pieces. And I don't know how many times I've called Christina and said, I don't know what to do here. What do I do? Right. And, and I know that, you know, she's striving um, to live obedient and fruitful and Catholic, you know, life. And, and so anyway, you know, I I love that idea too, that St. Hildegard like was reaching out to these other holy souls. Right. And we need to be surrounded by holy souls to help us on our, our journey, right? Anyway, sorry, I don't mean to go on my little rants, but it's just so important. It's just so important. That's why I, like having a mother's group, it's just literally changed my life. Like I think of my life from when I was in corporate hundred percent and the women that I was surrounded by versus now having, you know, a, a group of remarkable women um, it's just such a gift, such a real gift. Anyway, I'm sorry. So what else can you tell us about St. <laughs> well, you know what, once she kind of got uh, Scivias written, and this is a book of 26 of her visions. Um, and then she got that papal a- approval and encouragement. She has St. Bernard's Clairvaux in her corner, um, other holy men and women. She really kind of just goes for it at, after that, right? She um, ends up writing two more books um, on visions that she has. She writes a book on medicine and natural healing. Um, and she ends up composing many, many pieces of music and a play, which I'll talk about in a minute. But just to kind of go back to what you were saying, Dorothy, about even um, no matter where you are, so you were in both the corporate world and now you are here running a ministry and things like that, um, you are who God meant for you to be in all of those places, right? Wherever God meant for you to be. Hildegard was a nun, but she also was very interested and had a gift for herpology and the natural sciences. She had a gift and a, uh, a tendency towards music and composing. She finds herself in a lot of different worlds and she finds herself there just by being true to who God has made her to be. And I think that's a huge message that we need actually to take note of with St. Hildegard is that so many of us are so gifted in all kinds of areas and we were specifically meant to be in those areas you know so when it all comes back to glorifying god your gifts and your talents are such beautiful witnesses to him and we definitely see that um i didn't look too much into her natural sciences thing because that is not my um natural tendency (laughs) but i do want to just say one little note about St. Hildegard because I came across it in my research. So if anyone else is going to look further into her, um, because of that interest of hers, secularly outside the church, she um, has been a little bit adopted, I guess you could say, by the New Age movement. And so to be a little bit careful about the sources that you're reading about her from, because 
there have been, I know um, there was a, a little notice on catholicculture.org um, while I was reading about her, just to be aware of that, that because of her work in herbology and natural science, that she can sometimes be, um, I, I don't know what you would call it, like kind of brought under the umbrella of a, a new age. Yeah, so, so I think yeah. it, it's, ex and it's extremely important because, you know, there are many, um, you know, secular atheists, different, just different people that go on the Hildegard bandwagon and, and they, you know, they proclaim a lot of different things about Hildegard without mentioning the fact that she was obedient to church teaching, that she's a Catholic saint, um, that she was devoted to mm -hmm. Eucharistic adoration, that she was devoted to the Eucharist, and that, um, you know, and, and so there's, I noticed that same thing. And then I, I find that too, even in certain Catholic circles, you know, some people are, are taking her and almost misusing her um, and misguiding, you know, uh, people. So uh, I really do encourage each and every one of you that when you are studying her, that just as Michelle said, that you make sure that you're 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 getting your information from a solid Orthodox Catholic um, source that doesn't have an axe to grind grind with our magisterium and our hierarchy. Okay, um, so just be careful. I, I I'm I'm glad that you mentioned that because I noticed that as well, and um, I think it's taken even some Catholics off track. So we we need to be careful. Um, so, so this woman had so many gifts, so many talents, each and every one of us have so many gifts and so many talents. And sometimes we're not using our gifts, right? And, yeah. um, and, and we could be, so tell us more, tell us more. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, as I said, I wasn't, I, I didn't go too deeply into her natural sciences um, background in her book on medicine. But I did look a little bit into her music compositions and I found her so interesting. And this is where I really saw um, St. Hildegard and found a lot of information from her in non-Catholic sources. I just think it's pretty incredible that this woman who lived centuries ago and who composed music for her nuns in the convent is still so referenced in, uh, in a secular context in regards to music even, how she wrote music. So she, I guess, is one of the few um, Oh, I have it here. She's one of those few medieval composers, I guess, that we still have original compositions by her. Mm -hmm. And she wrote in uh, what's called monophony. So sometimes we hear about polyphony in church music, especially, but hers is monophony. So it's like um, often characterized by one line of melody unaccompanied by harmonizing or instruments or anything like that. And she ends up writing 77 songs that form up the liturgical year. And the most interesting one, I've been building up to this because I'm very excited to tell you about her play. She wrote an entire play and musical that's um, sung and it's called Ordo Virtutum um, and it's about the virtues and morality. So I, I'm going to set the stage for you here. The play takes place, um, it starts out as a conversation between 17 virtues and the patriarchs and the prophets of the Old Testament. And they're going back and forth in kind of like this, like complimenting battle almost like the patriarchs are telling the virtues like, oh my goodness, you are what life is all about and you're so important and you're so beautiful. And this is sung by men with their deep voices. Um, and then the virtues would respond and these would be the nuns singing um, in their high voices back to the patriarchs like, well, you're the ones that have shown the world how to live by us and, and all these things. And so after that introduction, uh, the protagonist enters and it's the soul of a young woman who is just so in love with God and the things of heaven. She asks the virtues if she could just skip life and go straight to heaven. 
don't we all want that too? <laughs> and the virtues have to break it to her that no, unfortunately, you do have to go through life. That's how it works. Um, and the soul is disheartened by this. And that opens up the door just to crack for Satan to enter the picture. So Satan would be, would have been the only part really played by a man. The lower voices, I think, could have been sung by women as well. But Satan was always played by um, a man, maybe the monk or the priest at the convent. And the rest of the play, the body of it, goes by with each virtue appealing to the soul as to why they can help her, will help her. Um, their place in the natural order of things, the spiritual order of things, with Satan every once in a while interjecting doubts, insults, um, things to try to draw the soul away. And so I don't, I don't know if a few hundred years is long enough that I can give spoilers of how it ends. I think if you haven't seen it by now. You're pro I'm just kidding. <laughs> but the way it ends is that the soul does end up choosing the virtues. And so the virtues then bind Satan and kick him out. And um, then they go into the last section of the play, which is all about singing about the glory of salvation and what Jesus Christ has done for us and bringing it back home, essentially. But there are a few really interesting things that Hildegard does with the actual writing of the music and the writing of the play that I think just in addition to just being a creative mind to come up with this story also shows how she uses even the technique itself to storytell. So one of the things is that, um, you know, she's known for her beautiful melodies, but Satan does not sing. He has no singing parts all he does is he grunts and yells and she did that on purpose because she said satan cannot participate in the divine harmony of the universe he's not capable of singing of joining in with this and she illustrates this by not giving the role any singing parts and so you can actually go on youtube and you can find a performance of this play um, and you'll see that whenever Satan speaks, it's like a really gravelly, biting, yelling kind of a voice. And then the virtues respond and it's beautiful melody. And I've just loved her creativity in that too. Yeah. One of, um, in, in one of, uh, one of the books that I found that was written about her opposed to, um, written by her. They had listed um, 23 of the virtues that she espouses or encourages us to grow in with the opposing vices. And when I first discovered her, I printed this list and every morning I was reviewing the list of, you know, uh, virtues and I'm like, oh my gosh, I see so many of my vices there, right? <laughs> it was such a, it was, it was such a kind of exciting practice in the morning to be reviewing um, the virtues. And, it, and then it got me thinking like, you know, that as mothers, um, are, are we doing that? Are we trying to foster virtues in our children, right? Because, you know, so often now as mothers, yes, we're trying to make sure that yes, our children are educated and yes, that they have, you know, the latest computer and that yes, you know, that they go to the right university. But are we focused on um, hoping that our children grow in virtue? Are we ourselves, do we, do we measure our days um, when we do an examination of conscience at the end of the day, whether or not we've grown in virtue? And she just got me so excited about the virtues again, you know, so I'm really glad that you, uh, I'm really glad that you, you brought up that, that play. I'll, and the fact that you can go on YouTube and listen to the music of mm -hmm. a nun that lived how many years ago, right? It's just... Uh, it's, it's, it really is remarkable. It is. And you know what? You're, I heard um, a lecturer speaking on St. Hildegard when I was doing my research, suggesting, now this is her suggestion, but I kind of, I kind of like it. She said, 
that it's possible Hildegard wrote this play and that they performed it often, but that they used it as an examination of conscience for the nuns and that they would rotate through the roles oh, wow. of the virtues mm -hmm. and each nun would have a chance to be a virtue and that would probably give you quite a perspective on how strong or weak that virtue is in your own life I would imagine so oh that's what a beautiful uh oh wow that's yeah <laughs> yeah what a good idea yes 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 um so yeah like there's all kinds of things oh the one other thing about the play which I think is just interesting if you were ever going to check it out for yourself is that it uses what's called mel hang on I have it written down here lots of big words today <laughs> oh it was melismatic so melismatic means that one syllable can contain many notes those will be the notes that you think like if you're going to sing love you wouldn't just say love you would say love many notes one syllable oh, and she wow. uses that a lot but on purpose because the last part of the play like i was mentioning to you really dealt with salvation and the very last word of the whole play is um it, it's porajat or porigat i'm not sure but it means to stretch out it's talking about how god stretches out to all of us and that is the longest melismatic line in the whole play. They hold that one word for 39 different notes because Hildegard wanted it to seem like the hand of God was reaching that far out towards the people who were watching it and viewing it. So she was. I think she's reaching out to us now today, you know, using Zoom and using Michelle. Like I, I, I you know, I just have this sense that Hildegard is, is calling us into a higher level of, of being. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so, you know, I, I'm mindful of the time here, Dorothy, but there's just one other aspect of Hildegard that I think that we would be really interested to learn more about her. And that is of her, her role as doctor of the church, kind of what that means and um, what it means about some of the things that she did in her life, um, especially talking or combating heresies that were going on in the church at the time. So, you know, very briefly, doctor of the church is a title conferred to certain saints. Um, there are, parameters uh, or condition, three conditions to be named a doctor of the church. One, you have to live a life of exemplary holiness. So basically you need to be a saint. <laughs> the second one is that you must have somehow contributed to deepening the church's understanding of its teachings and divine revelation. And then the third is, oh dear, I dropped my notes. I can't, Oh, a Pope has to name you a doctor of the church. So <laughs> those are the three things. And the church currently has, I believe it's 36 doctors of the church. And St. Hildegard is one of the newest ones. She was only canonized in 2012 by Pope Benedict XVI. So I was really surprised by that because I feel like the church has talked about her a lot longer. That was the sense I got from it. And it's true that the church um, really just during her uh, canonization, they were giving her what was called an equivalent canonization, which essentially means that for some reason, the formal process of canonization was never completed. She was a blessed for a long time, um, but that she already had kind of a veneration and uh, a following that was already recognized by the church, especially in her local area. And so the equivalent canonization essentially is just making things um, global, like it's for the universal church now and bringing her in. So that's, that only just happened um, in 2012. She's a recent saint. And then being named a doctor of the church because of her writings um, and everything to do with that, um, I, it, it's very clear. So I was doing a little bit of research into other doctors of the church. And one of the things that I found really interesting was that, you know, they all had those three things in, in common, but they were so wildly different from one another. 
you know, you had doctors of the church who led scandalous lives before their conversions, like St. Augustine, Mm -hmm. right? Versus doctors of the church that may not have ever committed a mortal sin their entire life, like St. Therese, the little flower. You had saints that, you know, were pretty temperamental and would have been described as grumpy, like St. Jerome. (laughs) And you had saints that were always described as pretty easygoing, like St. Teresa of Avila. And um, St. You have other saints, and this is where Hildegard comes in, and I loved this distinction. You had saints that were very um, into penance and mortification. They were very called to lead a life of that, like St. Catherine of Siena. But then you have saints like St. Hildegard, who, you know, especially being a part of the natural science, she really believed in moderation in all things. And she actually really um, discouraged her nuns from skipping sleep. She encouraged them to have healthy lifestyles and things like that. So the doctors of the church form a broad spectrum, but they all somehow contributed to this divine understanding of the church and the magisterium and scripture and teachings. And the other thing that the doctors of the church all have in common is that they all in some way battled heresy um, from within the church or controversy and conflict within their own orders. And so you have, for example, you have um, um, St. Robert Bellarmine, I believe he was instrumental in talking about Protestantism you have St. John of the Cross and St. Teresa of Avila who were instrumental in reforming their own orders. Uh, and then, so that's something that all the doctors of the church have in common. And so where does Hildegard fit in? Well, she ended up um, being asked by the Pope um, to join this team, we'll say, of people who he wanted to encourage to go and speak to a group called the Cathars. Um, they are also known as the Albigensians. So this is a heresy that began in the south of France. And they believed a lot of interesting things, um, one of which was like a duality of God. They believed there was a good God of the New Testament, of the spiritual realm, and a bad God of the Old Testament who created the world. And therefore, creation is not good. Creation is evil. And so... Uh, they were talking about how one reaches perfection by eschewing everything of the natural world. And that presents a lot of problems for Catholics, (laughs) especially when it comes to, you know, marriage and childbirth. They believed that it was not good of you to want to have children because you're going to be trapping a pure soul into a body. You know, they believed you know, that presents problems for our teachings on the incarnation and Mary, our blessed mother. And so the church, the Pope was really anxious to um, have people speak to the Cathars and try to work out this heresy. And St. Hildegard was one of those people he asked. And I just think that that is such a wonderful choice on his part, because she was so involved in both mystical revelation she knew the spiritual realm like better than most people living at the time but she also had this hand in the physical natural world too and Hildegard's big thing was that there is meant to be unity among all things right there's meant to be unity between religion and science science and logic um God and his creation and that sin was the thing that broke us all apart and so you know, uh, amongst all the other things we talked about today, I think that is one last thing I would say we need to really dig into praying to St. Hildegard for is this understanding of unity in the church and in the world and knowing the holy stubbornness, you know, when to dig our heels in and when to promote unity, because ultimately that is God's will for all of us. And Jesus prayed, Lord, like Father, make them one as we are one. Um, And she really lived that even when it came to battling it out with heretics of her time. Yeah, and isn't it remarkable in a way that she seems to 
be emerging and tapping, you know, so many Catholics shoulders right now, you know, smack in the middle of a pandemic where there is so much division, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And, and where we all are like searching for health and wholeness and, and safety. And that, um, you know, I've been turning to her, you know, more and more often, you know, not only my, 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 my daughter's, you know, future husband, um, you know, he's, he's a part-time musician. And so I've been turning to her, like, you know, bless his work. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, um, I've, I've written a few, you know, books and things. And so, and then I have so many medical issues. I've also been, you know, turning to her for healing and guidance, you know, during this time where there is so many, so much division about, you know, so many different things. Mm -hmm. um, can you kind of also just give us a sense of why um, St. Hildegard might be someone that each of us might learn more about like what would you say to like why is she relevant today you know besides maybe some of the things i've just mentioned um how can we encourage and what can moms do to get to know her a little more like maybe we can kind of summarize with that a little bit mm -hmm. yeah so to to summarize then i really think that if through my research what i ended up really taking from saint hildegard was um that we are able to pray to her when we're trying to discover our gifts and our talents and which ones of those are going to give God the greatest glory, um, how to use them to give God the greatest glory and to not be afraid to do that. She was um, a woman of action, but she's no stranger to doubts and uh, uncertainty, uncertainties, yet she found ways to persevere in those and look what she did <laughs> with her life, right? And I think that if each one of us were to do that and to ask her help in doing that in her intercession to do that, I think we could see such transform transformation happening in the lives of women and our families and our communities and the world. So that would be one thing. And then again, like I, I mentioned before, and you summarized this as well, that in a time when it is extremely stressful for many people and um, nerves are very very frayed and we haven't seen people very much <laughs> the last few years we have we have to get back into this sense of belonging and unity with one another and um because that is god's will and hildegard understood that she saw it both within her interests and hobbies and in her communities and wanting to bring people into the church and um, reconcile church teaching <clears throat> to the modern uh, issues of her day. And so I think we can do that too. And we can ask her intercession for wisdom on how to speak, on when to speak and to have courage in doing so, but ultimately putting God first and having respect and um, just, yeah, just that balance between respect and obedience and wisdom and understanding and a discerning eye to what's going on in the world around us. And, 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 you know, the, the, the other thing too, is that, that, you know, that this time alone that all of us have had to embrace on different levels and going into sort of different phases, you know, during the pandemic, um, that, much good can come out of spending more time out of the world and in um you know you know trying to make one's home a more you know monastic home like now don't look at my kitchen behind the picture because you won't see a monastic <laughs> life right now <laughs> a week before a wedding and we're gonna like ah, oh, uh, we, we just got uh, news yesterday too that uh, the the groom's um mom and dad are flying in from poland right so uh, so it's uh it's all it's all very very um exciting but that you know that I'm always encouraging moms that are joining us or moms that are a part of our mother's ministry to, to remember that 
God can use anything to do anything. So just not to look at this current crisis that we're in as being 100% bad, that there could be a silver lining, there could be gifts, you know, um, and, you know, they're, they're not all gifts, but, you know, like not to miss God's grace in the middle of the chaos, because, uh, you know, yes, Hildegard was sickly, Hildegard was battling heresy, Hildegard's was given by her family, you know, to a monastery. So it, it like her, her life wasn't free of pain before she became fruitful. And I would like to encourage each and every one of you that once we actually do upload this video to, to YouTube, which will be after the wedding, um, is to share it with your daughters. Because I think that the radical feminists really got the world's attention because, you know, women felt that they weren't, you know, doing enough, creating enough. And I just think that if we were all more aware of the Hildegards and St. Catherine of Siena and of Avila and of Calcutta, we wouldn't need the feminist movement because we see how much these incredible women, you know, accomplished, you know, I always just in closing used to say my mom never needed the feminist movement she had the holy spirit and that kept her real busy because <laughs> if we listen to well, the prophets of the holy spirit right mm -hmm. like look at the hundreds of thousands of people that have listened to your podcast from all mm -hmm. over the world yeah yeah that's right <laughs> unexpected yes we just did what we we felt god gave us talent for and look what happened right yes and, we're in our wildest dreams but it's we often say the holy spirit is the producer and he is that for every person in their gifts and talents right yes, yes say god i'd like to do this for you i'd like to use my talents i don't know how but i'm open to whatever and then the opportunity comes say yes and then see what happens yeah i i, I want to mention just in closing it, it is 302 and we <laughs> close at three and um you know michelle's got you know lots of kids and she's homeschooling so i'm really grateful for the time but um ave maria press is publishing a new book uh, for moms it's the ave uh, the ave catholic prayer book for moms and if you got an invitation to this you would have gotten um if you're in the united states um you there's a code that you can use to get a discount on the book and to get free shipping. And I'm a contributor. I contribute a prayer um, in that book of prayers. And for if you're from Canada, um, Novalis has agreed to create a link for me so that I can um, offer you a, a discount as well. So just be patient with me. But I, I was looking at the prayer book and it is just so, so uh, beautiful. Um, so I, I really like I'm planning to buy 10 copies so that I can give them out as gifts at Christmas time. So if you're a dear friend, you know, you might be getting, <laughs> um, anyway, um, Michelle, I, I, I wanted to let you, I wanted to encourage you in your speaking. Uh, mm -hmm. You have a real, uh, just a tremendous, remarkable gift. I, I could listen. It's like listening to the symphony. Um, oh, wow. Thank you. Know, <laughs> and if there's um, anything that I could do to encourage you or help you and, you know, in your continued ministry, uh, I know that every time we have you on as a guest, I'm, I'm so deeply touched and edified in my heart, just just feels so blessed by your gifts. So thank you for sharing them with us. I encourage each and every one of you to um, look up the Modern Lady Podcast, follow Michelle on Instagram. It's M-M-S-A-C-H-S on Instagram. You can yep. follow us on Instagram, three words, Catholic Moms Group. And if you're interested in starting a Catholic Moms Group, that's what I do. I help train Catholic mothers group leaders. I always say I'm not a theologian, <laughs> but I am really I'm pretty good at training uh, um, uh, leaders in the ministry. So anyway, I want to thank each and every one of you for joining us today. It's a real gift to have you. I would ask for you to pray for Michelle, pray for her children, pray for her ministry. And um, 
if through this week you can pray for Monica and Paul, the bride and groom, as they prepare for the wedding, and if you could pray for me, because I'm going to be a mother-in-law. <laughs> that could be either a good thing. <laughs> oh, that could be either a, a good thing or a bad thing. I don't know. Um, but anyway, I'm, I'm going to try to do the best that I can. So thank you, everyone. Um, do you have any closing thoughts, Michelle, before we go? Um, maybe just the quote from St. Hildegard's fellow doctor of the church, St. Catherine of Siena. Uh, one of my favorite quotes, be who God meant for you to be and you will set the world on fire. Yeah. And I'll be praying for your daughter and her soon to be husband next week, Dorothy. Thank you for having me on. Yeah. And as I like to close, I'm so glad we had this time together just to have a laugh or pray a prayer. Seems we just get started. And before you know it comes a time we have to say so long. Mwah, mwah, mwah. Uh, please know that you are loved. We offer a mass every single week for all of the moms that are connected with our network. So we're praying for your intentions. Um, and we ask you to pray for ours. If you feel called to make a donation through PayPal, you can. Catholic Moms Group, there is a PayPal button, a donation button. Um, we'd love to grow the ministry, but we, <laughs> we need help. <laughs> anyway, so thank you very much, each and every one of you. And um, thank you again, Michelle. You're, you're a gift to the church. Thank you. Thank you very thank much. Thank you for having me, Dorothy. And thanks, everyone. Yeah. See you Last next time, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Michelle, have you always homeschooled or are you new to homeschooling? I am new to homeschooling. So we, um, we came home with everybody. Um, during the pandemic and that was the start of our homeschooling journey formally yes yeah so maybe one day we can talk about that one day anyway okay right. okay thank you very much okay bye-bye okay. thanks bye, Dorothy. thank you thank you very much bye-bye